0: excuse me okay so it's time for church this is uh, week two of our eight-week series talking about corporate worship last week uh, we talked about how this is where Christians belong this is what we do this is who we are we gather routinely we find our identity in this gathering it's our identities in the gospel that we proclaim here that's the point of it that's the purpose of corporate worship and that's why this is so important. So today, I'm not necessarily talking about a component, a certain component of our service, but I wanted to take another week to examine that same passage in Hebrews chapter 10, which is where we were at last week, we'll be there again today, Hebrews 10. And I wanted to look at the the third exhortation that's there, We, we studied the first two, but in an effort that you and I would go to church even when we don't want to go. As I just mentioned in the prayer, I, I know I, I, I'm normal too, right? I, I live a life, sometimes it's stressful, just like you do. Sometimes you just don't feel like showing up. Maybe today you did, maybe today you didn't. But here's the thing about corporate worship that I want you to understand. This is the big idea of what I'm talking about today. On those days that you don't want to go to church, you need to go anyway. And I'm going to tell you why today. So growing up in church, as as I did, for a lot of people, that's their story in our context. A lot of people grew up at least associated with the church or or somewhat routinely going to it. But whenever I think of corporate worship, I, I didn't have a really healthy respect for it because of what I thought Christianity is. Like I was sold Christianity in this way. And maybe you were, too. Maybe this rhetoric sounds familiar to you. Christianity is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Were you you told that, too? Christianity is about you and Jesus. So whenever we gather together here, it's really just about me and Jesus. This is a me and Jesus relationship. So have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And if you haven't, you need to come forward and pray. Is that how, that? I mean, I was born in 1980, so 80s and 90s church, man, that's, that's how that jam sounded, right? <laughs> and really a lot of Christianity uh, never sounded like that. It, that was a trend that began in America with a guy named Charles Finney, we can get into that later. But that, but that became the rhetoric and how Christianity was sold. It was, it was just a me and Jesus relationship. And so, now I'm not gonna stand up here and say that all of that was wrong, okay? Because certainly this is personal. Uh, but as I spoke last week, this isn't individualistic, right? This isn't an individualistic faith. This is a corporate faith. And so but when we read in the Bible, here's how this relationship is supposed to be thought of. It isn't so much a personal relationship as much as it is a communal relationship with Jesus. This is us and Jesus. This is Jesus and his church. It's a, we are When we become a Christian We become a part of the body of Christ. Remember, we talked about that word corporate. It sounds like business terminology, but corporate is the Latin word for body. We are the body of Christ. This is corporate worship, body worship, because this is the assembly of Christians who believe, and this is what we do, and this is where we boast in Christ and what he's done. That's why this is so important. So all of us are attached together as believers. Nobody gets to have a solo existence uh, with God apart from everybody else. This is a communal relationship. This is why, that, again, that word body, that body illustration, is used multiple times in, in the New Testament to describe what we're doing here. So our body is attached. <laughs> the members of my body are all attached together. That's how I stay alive. So my hand, for example... My hand does not get a solo existence apart from my body, or else that goes really bad for my hand. My foot doesn't get to have a solo existence apart from my body. If so, it dies. Well, it's the same with the church. That's why that illustration is used, so that we would think of this relationship we have with God in these terms. We are joined inextricably to one another as believers. None of us gets to have this solo existence apart from the body, apart from From church we are joined together and so when Jesus would teach you would you would hear this this teaching in subtle ways Lord teach us to pray okay pray like this our father who art in heaven he didn't say my father who art in heaven it's our father who art in heaven because when we think about praying and we think about exercising our faith or having faith we think about our relationship With God. We are a part of that body. We are joined together. When we pray, we pray together. Whenever we study Scripture, we have to realize that these New Testament letters, like Hebrews that we've been reading, these epistles, these letters, They are written to groups of believers. They were meant to be read in front of the whole assembly of Christians. And they were read in front of the whole assembly of Christians. And so even when we're talking about Scripture, this isn't something that I interpret individually. This is something that we collectively go into together so that we can discern and and sharpen one another and and figure this out together, right? Because it's it's about us and Jesus a better way to put that is, it's about Jesus and his church. Whenever we're reading in scripture, those are the terms that we're given. The church is the bride of Christ. It's about Jesus and his church. So it's not a, it's not a me and Jesus relationship, merely. It's, it's us and Jesus. And so when we gather together, we are participating in this Jesus and his church relationship. That's what we're doing right now. You are a part of the body of believers. So we gather because this is who we are. We can see this relationship when we're here. We can see it, and it's critical that we as believers involve ourselves with corporate gatherings, because if we don't, we're going to struggle to persevere in our faith. You know that's what the book of Hebrews is ultimately about. Whenever you study the book of Hebrews from from start to finish, and we spent like 40 weeks in it, it was one of my favorite times of study as a church because when you read the book of Hebrews. Uh, it, it helps you understand what the gospel is. It's so descriptive. Here's who Jesus is. And here's every detail of who Jesus is. And here's what the gospel means. And here's how Jesus is the gospel. So that's what, that's what Hebrews is about. But here's the big message of Hebrews beyond that. In light of who Jesus is, in light of who he is, you need to endure in your faith and not drift away. And so as you're reading through the book of Hebrews, you get all these details about the gospel. And then he says, then he warns you. You have those warning verses. Don't drift away. Persevere in your faith. And then you learn more details about the gospel and, and how it relates to the Old Testament. And then you get to another warning. Don't, don't give up. Keep going. Don't give up. And then you go a little bit further. It's like you're running a race. Just don't give up. It's like a marathon. Don't drift away. And then you read a little bit more and, and so on and so forth. That's, that's the, the rhythm of the book of Hebrews. It's a, it's a warning not to drift away. And so it's no, it's, it's no wonder then that it's in the book of Hebrews that is encouraging us to endure, not drift away. We get this very explicit instruction to not neglect to gather together. Because gathering together is a key component to our enduring. It's, it's the means by which God uses to cause us to persevere in what we believe. And so we need this. It's critical to our faith, or we will not persevere in the way we should. There's a strengthening effect when we're here routinely. There's a weakening effect on our faith when we miss routinely. There's a a life-sustaining effect whenever we make this a priority in our life, and we're going to feel so prone to drift away if this is not a priority in our life these beliefs that we have or something we'll drift away from because it's here that they're proclaimed and taught, right? So this is a gift. The church is a gift. The corporate worship that this is is a gift from God to us that we would persevere in our faith. And so your attendance really does matter. It really, really does matter because the persevering of your faith matters. So have have you ever wondered, like, when you think of, in terms of your faith you ever wonder like am i going to persevere am i going to be a christian five years from now am i going to be a christian ten years from now this is really important to me now but man life just have, has a way of just beating me down and i just don't know it just feels christianity feels more and more countercultural at times and it's difficult to navigate all of these conversations and it's exhausting in so many ways and living out these beliefs in this world and so am i am i going to make it because it seems like so many people aren't making it well a lot of that depends on how you prioritize corporate worship because corporate worship is designed to cause you to persevere how do we see this play out in a practical way well we see it every every time uh we've heard this story a thousand times a thousand times right little Timmy grows up in church he never misses VBS despite how much your parents can't stand organizing it. (laughs) He's always there. He never misses Sunday school. He always sits next to mom and dad at church. And he did that his whole childhood growing up. And then he gets to college. And when he goes to college, he's not a Christian anymore. And so what do Christians do? How do we complain about that? Well, we want to complain about the universities, those stinking universities, brainwashing our kids. and, And they're not going, they're not Christians anymore because of them. And what we should be saying, rather than that, is that it makes perfect sense. If little Timmy goes to college and he no longer goes to church on a routine basis, well, four years of not going to church, you're not going to feel very Christian anymore, are you? And so it's no wonder at the end of those four years, he doesn't associate with Christianity. He doesn't claim to be a Christian anymore. Why would he? He hasn't been doing anything Christian during that time. So rather than complain about those universities and those colleges and things like that, where there's all sorts of schools of thought, you need to be training up our, our, our children to where they prioritize this gathering and see the importance of it and see the life-sustaining effects of it. We need it. It's critical. It's absolutely critical to our faith. People who stop going to church routinely, they grow weaker and weaker and weaker over time. It's just what happens. Show me the Christians who aren't going to church routinely who are thriving in their faith. You can't do it. They don't exist. They're not thriving if they're not attending. So the author of Hebrews has this big lesson to us as we read it. He's saying we need to persevere in our faith. We need to collectively do something together to respond to what Jesus has done. And he articulates what Jesus has done. And here's what we do. We gather together together. So in chapter 10, verse 22, we have that first exhortation we studied last week. Let us draw near to God. How do we do that? This is written to Jews. Remember, they're used to worshiping by going to a temple. How do we do this? How do we draw near to God if the temple is no longer needed, if the high priest is no longer needed, if the sacrifices are no longer needed? How do we draw near to God? That's how we thought of drawing near to God up to this point. What are you telling me has changed? Well, Jesus is the ultimate high priest, and Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. We don't need the temple anymore. So when we draw near to God, we proclaim who Jesus is. That's what drawing near to God is now. And so that's why he says in verse 24 there, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. That's what we do. When we want to draw near to God, we gather together, and we confess our hope in who Jesus is. That's what corporate worship is designed to do. That's why... We present this same truth to you that is the gospel in so many different ways, through catechism, through reading the word, through singing about the word, preaching and teaching. It's all doing the same thing. It's boasting in what Jesus has done, because that's the purpose of this gathering. If a church gathers and they're not doing that, according to the Bible, by definition, they're not really having corporate worship. That's what it's designed to do. But wait, there's more. There is another exhortation there that we're going to study. So if you look at Hebrews 10, the, the passage we study uh, last week is 19 through 25. I'm going to read the whole thing again, but we're just going to focus on that last exhortation, the last let us. So pay attention to that when it comes up. Verse 19 starts by saying, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, That is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Here comes that third exhortation. And let us consider... How to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works so this gathering is designed to connect us together in a special way to do something very specific we are connected we are overly connected to people in this world now, right? Almost exhaustingly so, right? I mean, it used to be, we had all of these phone numbers memorized and that was the extent of communication, right? You would you would go and dial the number on your landline at home, but now we have cell phones and now we, ha- we connect through text messages, beyond phone calls and, and emails and FaceTime and Facebook and, and Instagram, which we got a new Instagram account on the journey, you may have noticed there. We probably need to take the password away from me. I'm getting a little carried away with it at times but we connect in all these different ways we we have beyond that people use like what's that marco polo if you if you really want to waste a colossal amount of time <laughs> or boxer I, I, I really don't know what that is either but, but there's all these ways to connect we're we are so connected and so we're saying like why is corporate worship important i can connect in so many ways like today that we that we didn't used to be able to connect so do we do we really need this since we can connect like that all of a sudden right in in this new age well what we've learned here and what we've discovered especially as of late in in this most recent decade is that connecting in those ways with all of that technology as great as it is it can't replace being physically together with someone it can't replace it it doesn't work like that we've learned this Lesson over and over, like even in the secular world, we've 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 learned this lesson. So as you know, I'm on the I'm on the board of edu- education here at the Journey and and or I'm sorry at the, at the Marietta City School District. Sorry, that was a little slip there. But I've learned a lot about education, and 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 ha- I've had to learn a lot more about education being on that school board. But the the single greatest factor is this is something I've learned. Uh, even this year, looking at uh, our state report card and things like that, the single greatest factor to a student's education, uh, the single greatest factor to their success as a student is being here. Like absenteeism, that's going to hurt you and your your school's education more than any other factor there is. They got to be here to learn. We have learned this whole lesson over and over and over again. And so as a district, we have multiple employees, that are literally hired to make sure kids show up. We, we have multiple employees that are on the phone if they don't show up. And if they're not answering the phone, they're, you know, they're, they're texting. If they're not answering the text, they're showing up at their door. They're knocking at their door. Because if the kids don't get here to learn, they're not gonna learn. And it's gonna have the, it's gonna have the biggest impact on their grades more than anything else. They have to be physically present in order to have the highest quality of education possible. So we learned this again in the pandemic. Now the pandemic, uh, I'm not saying it was like wrong that we went into a shutdown and things like that. I mean, we didn't know what was going on in the midst of that. But what we learned is there were consequences for that shutdown. There was consequences for trying to do remote education. It wasn't as high quality. That was the consequence. And so being physically present makes a critical difference in a child's education. We, we have the proof of that now. The whole world learned that lesson, and if you talk to a teacher, and we have several in our congregation, they will tell you that they are still suffering the consequences of that shutdown because their kids like, didn't learn how to read as well for a year, and it had consequences on, on the rest of their education. They got behind and were still trying to catch them up. And the, way that we, the most important way we catch them up is by being physically present with them, right? Well, it's the same with the church. In, in, in a similar way the church if it if it doesn't gather there's a crippling effect on the church itself and on the individual who is a part of that church and so even in the pandemic when when we shut down our church shut down for longer than most because we didn't own our building and the health department wouldn't let us back in here so we were literally like wandering in the wilderness <laughs> like we were just exclusively online for several months and And then we met at the Shrine Club and we met at Masonic Park outside. I preached in sunglasses once. That was fun. Uh, But, you know, we we, we we were just trying to gather, but it was so hard, so difficult. But what happened for the church as a whole is, is similar to what happened to the educational system as a whole. We got weaker. And so millions of people who used to go to church before the pandemic, when they got out of the routine of going, and the pandemic ended, they didn't ever go back routinely. So millions of people who used to identify as a Christian then before the pandemic now because they haven't routinely gone in such a long time, their faith has grown weaker and weaker and weaker. Many of them don't even identify. They don't check the box on the census that says Christianity anymore. Millions of people who used to be very very obviously Christian, and you could tell that by their, their lifestyle and their opinions and their viewpoints and their allegiances and things like that, they're practically indistinguishable now from the rest of the world. And it's really no wonder because when that physical gathering of the church doesn't happen, people aren't nourished in the way that they were meant and, des- and meant to be nourished and-, and the way that this gathering is designed to nourish them. So those supplemental forms Of connecting together man they're such a blessing I loved the fact that I could at least start a YouTube channel in the pandemic and preach to you over the internet for a a temporary amount of time I was thankful for that, that I could still do something to try to reach you and connect with you I, I was grateful for the social media platforms and all of that stuff I thank God for them they were very helpful but the results are in those avenues of connecting with one another are not as effective as this corporate worship gathering is. They're not as effective. They're supplemental, they can help, but they're not as effective. It's like comparing the nutritional value of a Twinkie to a steak dinner, right? I mean, the, the Twinkie is, is a great snack. I, I really like it, and they last forever, evidently. Uh, but the, the it's not life-sustaining, right? It's not gonna make you healthy long-term or short-term. There's nothing healthy about a Twinkie. It just makes you happy in a moment. But a steak dinner, now nah, that's something different that has a lot of nutritional value, has protein, and all kinds of other stuff that I can't remember right now. <laughs> but it has a life-sustaining, nutritional um, effect on your life, right? And so, for you and I, this corporate worship, it's a necessity. The pre- being present with other believers on a routine basis the importance of that is a no-doubter. We know that because we're taught it explicitly in Scripture, and we know that because we've seen the ramifications of not doing it. We've seen what happens when we don't gather together. And so it makes sense that God would design the church like this, right? Because it's, it's Christ-like to be present. So whenever, whenever Jesus condescended from heaven, that word always throws people off. Uh, well, I always try to mention that around Christmas time. When We think of the condescension of Christ. We don't like that word condescending because when someone's being condescending to you, they're, they're looking down on you and talking down on you. Well, when Jesus came to save us, he, he definitely condescended. He definitely came down to our level by uh, putting on flesh and, and dwelling among us. And so he was present with us. He didn't zoom in from heaven to save us. He, he was present with his people physically there, living a life with them, suffering alongside them, and dying for them. So it's no wonder that he designed his church to behave in the same way, to be present with one another, because that's like him. He, he saved us like that, and so we serve one another like that. So verse 25 there, it says, when you read that, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, maybe that cuts like a knife, I'm sorry if it does, but that's what the word of God does often when we read it. Did you notice, though, the actions before and after that verse that are attached to it? The the actions that are linked to forsaking the gathering or skipping church, what are they? It doesn't say, don't skip church because you're going to miss a sermon. It doesn't say, don't miss church because you're going to miss out on the singing. It says, don't neglect to gather together because of and it says in verse 24, that's where we stir up one another to love and good works. It says in the, the latter part of verse 25, that's where we encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the preaching and the singing that happens on a Sunday morning, that's certainly meant to stir you up and to encourage you. But that's, that's the thing about this verse in Hebrews. It's not written to preachers to remember to stir one another up. It's not written to worship leaders to remind them to stir up the congregation in love and good works and encourage them. It's written to the congregation, it's written to everyone. You need to not neglect to gather together because you, all of us, come here to stir up one another to love and good works. All of us come here to encourage one another. All the day is the all, all the more as the day draws near it's written to us and so again your attendance here your presence here it really matters for everyone who is gathered here today it's not just about you the rest of us are depending on you and you're depending on us we're in this together we're joined inextricably together we're meant to function this way to be present in one another's life in a very specific and intentional way it matters we need each other. And so sometimes when whenever I hear someone say, well, you know, I tried church for a while and it didn't work for me. You know, I like to dig into that a little bit more. Well, what do you mean? Well, I I I just I didn't get much out of it. That's what people will say sometimes. Can you see how that comment would like be nails on a chalkboard to the author of Hebrews? <laughs> I didn't get much out of it. Well what did, what did you what did you think it was for? For you? Exclusively you? This is about us. This is about Jesus and his church. We're here to do something for us. So if, if you come here and you didn't get much out of it, like I got to think that that, I got to know that that mindset is just not in tune with what the Bible communicates about what church is. And so corporate worship, it's this gathering that's designed to keep us from turning inward on ourselves. It's this gathering that's meant to keep us from being self-centered and self-absorbed and all about us. That's what it's designed to do. That's what following Christ is, right? It's about self-denial. I want to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him. We come here to remind each other of that. We're here to deny ourselves and to invest in others and all to the glory of God. That's the reason I think church can be so frustrating when we're doing it right because when you're doing it right, you're investing in other people, and other people are messy, and that's annoying, (laughs) right? So it gets complicated, and it gets exhausting at times. Well, then you must be doing it right, because we're here to stir one another up, and not everybody wants stirred. (laughs) Not everybody's feeling it right now, and it's annoying when someone tries to stir you up, but if you come here just to see what you can get out of this Service, it's gonna suck the joy right out of it. I can promise you that. But if you come here with the posture of, man, what can I do to encourage somebody today? That's gonna to, that's gonna paint this in a whole new light. That's gonna to totally change how you walk into this place, and that's gonna help you persevere in your faith better than what, what can I what did I get out of that today? So do you notice in verse 24 when it talks about stirring one another up? It says, let us consider how to stir one another up. That's something deliberate. you got to think about it. you got to intentionally do that. you got to, you know, you're not just here to, you know, to pay attention to the sermon, right? You want to pay attention to the interests of others. You want to you stir somebody up? Well, then you got to consider how to do that. How do you, you know, some, some of you in here, you're like, well, I'm not a very good encourager. And, well, we know, first of all. But also... That's something you got to be deliberate about. you got to be intentional about encouraging somebody else. How, how do you do that? Well, it's kind of like gift giving. You're all Christmas shopping right now, right? Or maybe you haven't. Maybe you're scrambling right now, or you're, it's, it's, it's nagging you, and that's the, your least favorite part of Christmas is thinking about buying everything for everyone and stuff like that. But how do you give, give a good gift? Well, you consider the person you're buying a gift for. What are their interests? What are their goals in life? What's their personality like? What are they into? And then you get them a gift based on that, right? Well, that's exactly how you encourage somebody in your life, and when you think of encouraging in the church, you're, you're encouraging with the intent of them persevering in their faith. And so if you wanna give them a good gift of encouragement, you have to know what's going on in their life. If you wanna know what's going on in their life, you have to invest them in them in a friendship sort of way, in a family sort of way, is how we would describe it here at church, right? And you want to invest in them to the point at which you know what's going on so that you can encourage them based on what you know about them. They're going through a rough time at work. And so when you're here, you take a moment just to encourage another Christian by saying, hey, how's that issue going at work? If someone's struggling in their marriage and you know, just going up to them and saying, hey, I can tell you're, on the, you're struggling, right? And so I'm going to pray for you specifically. I'm going to pray for your marriage specifically. Or maybe this is a place you can go and ask for prayer. You talk to someone that you can trust and you know that is not going to judge you in a way that's not helpful. And you can say, man, I'm just going through a rough patch right now. Can you you pray for me? I had friends in this church reach out just this week just to say, man, I know you can't fix it, but I just wanted somebody to know I'm going through a bunch of crap right now and I'm feeling down. I love to be able to do that with people in this church. I'm not even asking you to solve all my problems, right? But it's just nice for someone to know and to know that they're praying for you about that situation. And many of you do that with one another. And that's a way, that's a way that we encourage one another. And we keep those relationships strong so that that can happen through corporate worship. That's the kind of encouragement we should receive here. But it's the kind of encouragement that you have to consider. You have to be deliberate about it. You have to think about it before you get here. So when you woke up this morning, did you pray about? Did you pray for anyone who you knew would be here before you got here? When you were driving here, when you were on your way, were you praying for a, a specific family or a friend who you knew would be there? And Something's going on in their life and you're and you're looking for a way to maybe encourage them Well, if you're being deliberate about those things this gathering is going going to become so much more meaningful to you Because this is where you are physically present with them in the midst of that struggle corporately together with the body of Christ and there's something therapeutic about that and nourishing and sustaining to our faith whenever we're boasting in Christ in this gathering rather than just focusing inwardly on ourselves, Did you notice the motivating factor behind that encouragement, too, in in that verse? Encourage one another as we see the day drawing near. That's the motivating factor behind our encouragement. This is what makes it worthwhile. It's worth it to stop what I'm doing, no matter how busy I am, no matter what's going on. It's worth it to set it aside and encourage people that I go to church with because the day is drawing near. What's the day? The day is judgment day. We're talking about salvation here. We believe as Christians, right, at the, at, at the beginning of the Bible, we have paradise. Paradise is, is broken because of sin. Then we got book after book after book of sin and people messing up and ugly, ugliness in the world. And then it gets to the, the conclusion of the Bible, the book of Revelation. It's paradise restored. It ends with a promise that God is going to make all things new. He's going to rid the world of sin and the consequences of sin. There'll be no more pain, no more tears. It's going to be paradise restored. It'll it'll be communion with God face-to-face in perfection for eternity. That day's pretty important to us, and that day helps us put every other day in perspective. It helps us to remember the most important things in life. That day is ultimately the most important thing we have ahead of us. The reformer Martin Luther... Back in the Reformation, he said, in terms of that day, he said, there's this day, and then there's that day. (laughs) That's kind of how he painted it there, because he's saying, you know, this day really matters, right? But when we're living this day in light of that day, it can really put this day in a better perspective, because sometimes this day starts to get the best of us. Sometimes this day gets us so down and so focused on ourselves. We start to forget about that day. And so we don't take time. We just don't take the time to prioritize loving other Christians and investing in them and encouraging them because we're forgetting about the most important thing ahead of us. And so remember that day. We want to especially encourage one another to persevere in our faith and to endure and not drift away because that day is coming. So it's worth it so it's worth it so it's encouraging right whenever we're reminded of the gospel in that day because it changes how i live this day and we need other brothers and sisters in christ to remind us of that day to 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 step into our lives when we got a frown on our face and we're stressed out and to step into their lives And do the same thing. We need that to happen, or we're going to grow weaker and weaker and weaker in our faith. So, last week I left you with six practical tips. I told you every time, sometimes when I preach, I know that I don't get very practical. And so, during this specific sermon series, I wanted to make a point to get really practical at the end of these sermons. And so, I don't have six tips today, uh, but rather just two things that I want you to walk away with. Just two very practical things to have on your mind about when you think about corporate worship. So here's my first one. When you wake up on that Sunday morning and you just don't want to do it, you just don't want to come to church, that's the day that you really need to get up and come to church, especially. You're gonna have those days. Some of you are having that day right now. Sometimes you just wake up and you're just too stressed, you're too overwhelmed from the week, you're too tired. There was just too much drama, you suffer from people exhaustion, and so the last thing you want to do is show up with a bunch of people. I get it. I totally, totally get that. That some days you wake up so incredibly drained from your work week or from the drama that was happening perhaps in your own family that you just can't muster up the strength to get up and get here. You'd rather just lay there in fetal position with a cup of coffee and close the blinds and just stay home don't let that stop you from coming to corporate worship your soul needs the nourishment that is provided for you here so I had a Sunday like this here just recently because I'm human too right people always make the mistake of putting the pastor on a pedestal like we're not real and I can promise you we are and some of you are like yeah we know you well enough you didn't you didn't trick us but I woke up recently on a Sunday morning because I have those mornings even as a pastor. I just woke up and I just didn't want to do it. I, 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 got a, I reluctantly got out of bed. I reluctantly started praying. I reluctantly went over my notes for my sermon. You know, you think of how some Sunday mornings you're so stressed out, and you don't want to come to church. Imagine having one of those mornings, but it's your morning to preach, right? That's my reality, folks. That's the life I'm living, I reluctantly went over my notes. I reluctantly got dressed. I reluctantly got in my car and drove here. Actually, before I got in the car, I I turned to Amanda and I just said, I really don't want to do this today. I don't want to preach. I don't want to be around people. I just want to stay home. I'm in a terribly bad mood. And it wasn't any one thing. It was just a culmination of a bad week. So I just don't even want to do this. So she's like, okay see you in a little bit what do you want what i want her to say to that like i was like she can't fix that okay we'll see you here in 20 minutes or so well you know when i showed up anyway despite not wanting to be here i was immediately greeted by people who were working hard to get our service ready and randy was getting the communion ready and greeted me and travis is setting the stuff up and kelly's getting the coffee ready and tony's setting stuff up and the praise band's getting ready and and everybody's greeting me with a smile, and and just, you know, they're excited to be here. I at least appreciated that, right? But then the components of the service started to change my bad mood. It started to cause me to focus about focus on something else rather than myself and how miserable I happened to be that day. I read the call to worship with Joseph up here, uh, uh, standing near the stage, and, and and when I read that call to worship. I was like, why is that in the Bible? Where is that in the Bible? And what is it saying? Why should I be reading it right now? It started to get me to focus on something other than my immediate problems, which started to change how I was thinking. And then we started singing about the gospel. That saved me. And I started thinking about the gospel because of the words that we were singing. I wasn't even singing along. I was in a bad mood. I didn't feel like it. But because the words are in front of me, I can't help but read it and contemplate it. So it was changing how I was thinking as the service was going along. And I got up here, and I got my notes out, and I preached that day, reluctantly so, but I was prepared. And so at least, you know, when I really don't want to preach, I'm really kind of like, what do I say next? I don't want to be here. But as I was contemplating what I wrote down, it started to change what I was thinking about. I started to think about the gospel. I started to think about things that are way more important. I started to think about things that have to do with that day rather than this day. And it started changing how I was thinking we had communion to think about the gospel. We, we had a time of fellowship after the service, tearing things down and just doing some practical labor, picking stuff up and carrying it to the trailer and, and just serving alongside one another. Now, I'm not going to say that I like, went home that day on cloud nine, skipping and everything was great. I, but I wasn't in that bad mood anymore. And I tell you, when I left, I was actually kind of frustrated about my message that day. It was probably the worst delivery I've had in the entire year. And I came home, I wasn't in as much of a bad mood, but I was like, man, that sermon was terrible. It was it wasn't, I don't even think it was comprehensive in any way. And, and, and I was just, I was frustrated about that then, because when you're having one of those days, everything frustrates you, right? And I probably five or six text messages and emails throughout the day from people who were there that day. I said, man, that was exactly the passage of scripture I needed to think about today. My mind so wasn't in it, but then you, you presented that scripture before me and taught it in a way that just impacted how I was thinking, and it changed me, and I really appreciate that. Now, for five or six people to reach out to me on a Sunday, that'll happen maybe like once a year, just for the record. Um, and, and that's not, a, I'm not soliciting feedback. <laughs> so keep your email. But I'm just telling you, like, that, it, was, it was funny that it happened on that day because I was like, I so didn't want to do it that day. And it was just God teaching me, I don't need you to do this. You're just a tool. And so, you know, when I, when I woke up that morning, yeah, I'm a tool in more, more ways than one. <laughs> okay, you got me. Stop. Stop it. Dang it, you people. Uh, we're too relaxed here. <laughs> uh, so I woke up that day. See, this is why it's fun to go to church, right? This is why it's, it's helpful. We're real here. I woke up that morning in such a bad mood and so reluctantly came to church, but I went to bed, not in the best of moods, but I was so grateful that I came to church that day. I was so thankful that I went. I was like, man, I'm glad I didn't stay home and give up. So on those Sunday mornings that you feel like that, you need this more than you know. Go to church anyway. I'm not gonna stand here and say, hey, stop being a baby and go to church. Like (laughs) that's like, that's the cold way to say that. It's like, hey, sometimes we're babies and we need to go to church anyway. Because we need this. We need this like we need to brush our teeth. It's just part of the health routine of a Christian life. Here's the second thing I want to remind you of, though. The very practical thing is is when you arrive here to to corporate worship, you gotta know there's a lot of people here who are hiding behind a smile. I promise you of that. I know this church. I know the people who gather here I know what's going on in so many of your lives because you tell me and we pray together when we talk about it and we meet with one another so often people will show up to the journey and I'm like you have no idea what they're going through right now if you only knew what's going on in their life right now you would be flocking to them to encourage them so when you show up to church if you consider how you can stir one another up to love and good works and consider how you can encourage others before you get here it's really going to change your perspective you're going to be so much more sensitive to people who are in that frame of mind and by God's grace you'll be able to even identify even though that smile is there and it just interacts with them in a way that'll be helpful and life-giving and sustaining whatever that means you know there's a verse in Proverbs that we studied when we went through that book Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Isn't that simple? So when we fail to recognize the importance of physically gathering for corporate worship, here's what happens. We're going to miss out on that life-sustaining nourishment that we need as Christians. We're going to miss out on that, and it's going to It's going to harm us in our effort to persevere in the faith. But also, when you forsake this gathering, you're you're not making yourself available to other Christians who need your encouragement. You're not making yourself available in the way Christians were designed to make one another available. We're a part of this worship service, and it connects us to people that we would probably otherwise never be connected to, that we would never interact with, so whenever you're a believer in the gospel, there's no more Jew, no more Greek, no more slave or free. It's, it, doesn't, like, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status and those, all of that, this, this is a level playing field here. And we, when we come here, we interact with people that maybe aren't in our normal spheres, but the gospel is what unites us. And we're here to encourage one another despite all of those different factors that, that play a role in our life. We need this, don't miss out on this to receive that nourishment, and don't miss out on this so that you can help other people who need your help to persevere in their faith. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your instruction in the Bible so that we can know how to do this right. We're so prone to mess everything up with our sin. We're so prone to make this about something else that it's not designed to be about. Lord, it's no wonder so many people have faded away from church over the years as churches themselves have faded away from the proclamation of the gospel over the years. We get distracted and we become about things like politics or uh, movements or whatever it may be, and we forget to be about the one thing we should be about, and that is boasting in what Jesus has done. That's the purpose of this. That's the sole purpose of this. Lord, we need this. Help us to steward the remainder of this service uh, to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.